Loved that arrangement. That was beautiful. Good morning. Walking up (laughs) during the offering, get the headset on, come and sit down in front, and Jim says, are you ready? And thinking, well, I felt ready, but then you asked. I mean, (laughs) you spend a week prepping for for a sermon, and then Saturday night, the baby cries all night. Um, I learned the term cluster feeding uh, when they just won't stop. Uh, So that's, if you're looking for the baby, maybe she's asleep now, uh, but she's not here. (laughs) So running on as much sleep as can be expected with just under a month old baby, uh, I I feel good to be here with y'all this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Pastor Jeremy. I'm the associate pastor here at Townview. And I'm thrilled to see you on even this beautiful morning. I woke up and it was chilly and it was dark and it was kind of drizzly. And I thought, oh, this is a perfect day not to go to church. And I remembered I have to preach. So here I am. So whatever. Let's go ahead and take a look at our passage for this morning, which comes out of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And Paul writes, this is right at the start, grace and peace to you from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. That's, that's neat. Paul is able to say all of you to a whole church. I don't know if you've met church people, but sometimes that's hard. I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So today is October 20th. I asked to preach months ago. I asked for October 20th, uh, this Sunday specifically, because of its proximity to October 23rd, which I don't know if y'all have weird things like this, like me. The October 23rd is my favorite day on the calendar. Um, I don't know if other people collect favorite days. Maya's shaking her head no, just continuing to confirm that I am weird. Um, but October 23rd is my favorite calendar day because in 1658, the Catholic Archbishop of Ireland, James Usher, here's a lovely picture of him, he's a handsome dude, um, released a book called The Annals of the World in which he dated the creation of the world to October 23rd, 4004 BC, he even assigned it an hour, 11 a.m. So 11 a.m., October 3rd, 4004 BC, God spoke the world into creation, which makes uh, the cosmos 6,023 years old this Wednesday. Happy birthday, world. Isn't that fun to know? That's a neat little fact. It's on my calendar. Creation of the world comes up every October. Oh, happy birthday, cosmos. Over the years, people have spilled gallons of ink and killed forests of trees, either trying to prove or disprove Bishop Usher's date. People are obsessed with origins and beginnings. Science is also obsessed with origins and beginnings. Just this year, the Nobel Prize in Physics went to someone doing cosmology and origin work. Something about gravity and dark matter that's way over my head, but the pictures looked really cool. Uh, So I Googled it and was like, wow, that's neat. I don't understand any of this. Uh, People have really strong emotional responses to beginnings. Folks believe uh, their beliefs on how it all got started. 
And these are often really deeply held beliefs. Uh, and anyone messing with their chosen narrative, be it the narrative of Ken Ham or Carl Sagan, bring about strong emotional responses. People get really wrapped up in the questions of beginnings. And I think it's more philosophical than anything else, really. I think the central issue at play is that maybe, just maybe, if we could figure out how it all started, then maybe we can figure out where we're going and what it's all about. And as you can imagine, I've been thinking a lot about new things and beginnings lately. Uh, new baby Eliza is almost a month old. My life is in an entirely new phase, and I'm, of course, exhausted and excited by all the recent changes here at church. I've been thinking a lot about new starts, what's next, and how to get there. So let's bring these kinds of thoughts today to our passage. Let's get that back up on the screen. Grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. This is a letter from a dude named Paul. Paul is an incredibly well-educated Jewish scholar from modern-day Turkey. And once he encounters Jesus, once he becomes a Jesus follower, he devotes the rest of his life to traveling the ancient world and spreading this gospel. He goes from city to city, and he enters places, and he finds Jewish communities, and he starts telling the Jesus story, and he plants churches all over the world. And then he writes letters back to them to encourage them or to fix problems he's heard of, uh, to uh, call out practices or to raise up good behavior. And this is one of those letters. Now, the writing that we're used to is different than the way that Jewish writing is composed, because our writing is sort of flat, it's rather direct. Unless we're dealing directly with poetry, we try to be as clear as possible in our writing. We want people to understand exactly what we mean, so we frequently in writing say things very directly. This is not how Jewish writing works. Uh, you see, Paul, um, his education has always been scriptural. Uh, probably around the age of six, Paul would have gone to school for the first time and started studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. By the time he's probably 10, he's got those memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. So don't complain about AP courses, high schoolers. Uh, as he enters his preteen years, he'd start to look at some of the writings, Chronicles, Kings, Judges, and by the time he would be high school aged, he'd have most of the Old Testament memorized. If you're not able to keep up with someone like Paul, you'd be kicked out of this educational process lovingly, not like, ha, stupid guy here, but like, hey, it's really cool that you love God and the Bible and all that, but you probably should go be a fisherman, or you should probably go study masonry, or you should probably go learn the family trade and be a baker or a farmer or whatever. But if you can keep up with the rabbis doing your education, you stay in. And eventually, by the time Paul finishes his childhood education, he would have had the entire Old Testament memorized. And they would play games, rabbis and students, where they would have huge theological discussions around topics without ever actually mentioning them. They would cite references nearby to see if they could catch each other. 
and they embed this in their writing as well. Paul knows the scriptures so deeply and so intimately that he sneaks little pieces in as winks and nudges and hints towards bigger ideas going on just in the background. Uh, there's a homiletical, a uh, interpretation tool I want to introduce you to today called the principle of first mention. And the idea behind it is that the people who wrote the Bible generally knew what they were doing. And so if something sounds familiar, you want to try to figure out where it was first mentioned in the Bible and see if that can shine light on what you're reading today. It's not perfect and it doesn't always work, but I think that it could give us a clue into some of the depth in this passage from Philippians. So Paul uses words, let's get this list of words up here that jumped out at me. Began, created, good, complete. To those of us familiar with the Bible, these should sound familiar. Are these jumping out at anyone else? Do you recognize where these might come from? Yeah, Genesis, let's get that next slide up there. Here's the very beginning. Uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, if you open the Bible from left and started reading, you would read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew there is tohu vavohu. You can, like, feel it. The earth was tohu vavohu, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Eugene Peterson says, ready for action. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And it was evening and it was morning the first day. Let's jump to chapter 2, which is the end of this poetic expression of creation. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had completed, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work that he had done. When Paul uses these words, began, good, create, complete, I think Paul is winking and nudging and hinting us back towards these opening sections of the Bible. I think Paul wants the idea of creation to come to mind when we read Philippians. I think what Paul is saying to this church is that being a part of the Jesus movement is to be connected to this creation story, that that same creative, powerful, loving energy that called all of creation out of nothingness is unleashed in the life of the church, that we get to participate in creation, that the story that God is telling that starts with in the beginning includes us. And for Paul, this isn't just a nice idea. It's attached to the story of Paul and the church at Philippi. He says, from the first day until now, we've been partners in the gospel. And that's the thing that God started in them. So what was the first day? Let's go to Acts 16 when Paul first arrives in Philippi, says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So Paul's doing that thing Paul does. He's arrived in a city and he's looking for God-fearers. He's looking for people who worship God to try to tell them the rest of the story. But he doesn't find 
a synagogue in the city, so he goes out to the river, a normal place for Jews to gather to pray if they don't have a house of worship, but he doesn't find a traditional gathering of Jewish men. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So this worshiping body is mostly comprised of women. And one of them listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Paul's normal game is to show up, find some good rabbis, some Jewish leaders, some elders, some men, and tell them about Jesus. But instead, he's encountered a businesswoman. This might be a very strange encounter for Paul. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, that's Paul and his companions, to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So Paul meets this group of women worshiping by a river. This one woman, this businesswoman, who's also noticed that she's the one who brings her family to be baptized. The head of the household in this family is Lydia. This is this is an odd story for the ancient world. So this uh, like liberated businesswoman is the first person in Philippi to accept the gospel, and she becomes, <laughs> and she invites everyone home for a party. I mean, do you like this lady or what? I think she's really cool. And she becomes like the first pastor of this house church in Philippi. And Paul loves this church. Um, and through this letter that Paul, because a lot of times, I've got a touch ahead of myself. A lot of times, when we look at Paul's letters, we can figure out why he sent them. He's usually trying to fix a problem or address a concern or call out a particular group or an action. But this is mostly a thank you letter. You see, Paul writes this from prison, probably in Rome, probably facing the end of his life in near days. He doesn't entirely know what's next for him, but he's uh, stood in the way of the empire and said to the Caesars, no, you are not in fact in charge. This is a story about Jesus. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And this gets him thrown in prison. In a first century Roman prison, they don't feed you. So you are dependent, and this is how prisons around the world are today, you're completely dependent on others coming to support you, to bring you funds to, to buy or to bribe, or to bring you food. And it looks like this letter is a thank you in response to the church at Philippi sending Paul food and provisions, something incredibly dangerous. Because if you are a political dissident uh, who's in prison for stand, uh, opposing the empire and standing for Jesus, your friends likely are political dissidents who oppose the empire as well. So this is a very dangerous thing to visit and support Paul. And so Paul sends a letter back with the messenger who's brought him the food and the supplies and thanks them for being the kind of church that they are. Paul recognizes that the gospel has turned this little house church led by businesswomen into a people of sacrifice and courage, of deep faith and deep hope and deep love. Paul sees the creative work of God alive in them and this isn't the only time that Paul will use this kind of language. Let's get a piece back up from our reading earlier today from 2 Corinthians. Paul uses this sort of move again. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
This is Genesis language again. The God who spoke light in the, into the universe wants to do the same in us and through us. The gospel introduces possibility broader than we could have previously seen. The gospel introduces love greater than we have previously felt. The gospel introduces creativity and innovation beyond what we could imagine. And the gospel introduces life more vivid and full than anything previously experienced. And Paul believes that when we say yes to this gospel, when we say yes to Jesus, we invite this life, these possibilities, this love, this creativity, the very energy and love and creativity that set the universe into motion, that innovate, innovates and animates through it, is unleashed in our lives. When we say yes to the gospel, we become the raw materials from which God will build his kingdom. God has started a good work in us. And what God starts, God finishes. This is Paul's promise here. God started and starts a good work in this church every time we say yes to the gospel. Every time we step up as Townview to be people of faith, hope, and love, a good work is unleashed. Today, I believe God has unleashed that same energy, the one that creates and animated the cosmos, into our community. Church, we stand today as the same church we've always been, but in a place where we have never stood before. We potentially face more possibility than has ever been in our reach. God has started something new in Townview Baptist. Our best days are not behind us. Our best days are ahead if we have the courage to let God be the architect of our story. Because God has not brought us to, to this place for our destruction, but for his glory. And if we can say yes to what God is building here at Townview, then there is nothing that can stop the good work that God has begun here. Maybe you're here today and you desperately want to follow Jesus. Maybe you're madly in love with this gospel and devoted to this church, but the rest of your life seems like it's out of control. Or maybe you want to take that next step of commitment and service, but you don't know if you have the energy or the time or the resource to pull it off. Uh, maybe you're here today and you've been doing this Christian thing for a while now, and you feel like you've gone off course a little. Maybe you feel like you've lost the favor of God or become so routine in your faith life that it's boring and stale, and you're wondering what happened to that person you were at the start. Or maybe you're here and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet, and you're wondering if it's worth it, if this is a safe place to, to cast your lot, if this Jesus can be trusted. Here's the promise from the Bible for all of us today. When God starts something, God doesn't leave it unfinished. The one who's began a good work in us will bring it through to completion. As we prepare for a time of response, I want us to take a minute and engage together as a community in a uh, contemplative prayer this morning. So here's what we're going to do. Just where you are, uh, 
hands out and open is the position for this prayer. Because um, all of us here today probably have some things we need to let go of and some things that we need to receive. So we're going to adopt a stance of openness so that things can be taken and things can be added. God of creation, we invite you into the chaos of our lives. Into our chaos, we ask that you bring order. God of creation, we invite you into our dark places. In our dark places, we ask for your light. God of creation, we invite you into the places inside of us that seem empty. In our emptiness, we invite you to create. God of the universe, God of creation, we ask you into the places inside of us that feel dead. In the places that are dead, we ask for your life. God of creation and every good gift, we invite you into our anxiety. And in our places that are anxious, we ask for your rest. God of every good gift, you have been so good to us. And we know that these things that you've begun, you will bring them through to completion.